When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast EDH Rec Room, where we just talk about some stuff that we want to talk about. This is a bit more on the uh, casual side of discussion, but you know what? There's a lot going on out there in the magic world, and sometimes we just want to get some thoughts on it that aren't on the official podcast, which takes a long time to produce. We just want to get some thoughts out there. Guys, how you doing? Dana, Matt, how's you? Doing pretty good. Splendid. Splendid is an excellent word. That's 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 going to be a good word of the day. And I'm glad to hear that you're doing splendid because the thing that we're talking about this time, um, we're talking about power creep, uh, which is kind of a contentious thing. It's kind of it feels to me like this might be a podcast where we air some grievances. So I'm glad to hear that you're doing uh, splendidly because this might be a kind of a. A a rough conversation just to have just to get through, because I think that there's a, a handful of frustrations um, that we're sort of feeling given the way that like magic design is going in the way of the power creeps. So I hope that we can keep it splendid, keep it excellent. Well, we'll, we'll see how the conversation goes. If exactly. I'm still I'm, feeling that way. I make uh. no promises. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're talking about power creep. Matt, Dana, what what do you guys think power creep means? Like, let's just set the stage. What is power creep? Um, okay, so I was thinking about this in the shower this morning, of all places. Um, uh, it, it, okay. That's where I do all of my thinking. And um, uh, so I, I think there's I, I've I broke it down in my head. I think there's three basic kinds of power creep. Um, I think the first one is it has nothing to do with the cards that Watsi prints. Right. So if tomorrow they cancel all their products in the pipeline and just announce there will never be any new magic cards again, some power creep is still going to happen. Um, like let's say Matt is so shocked by this announcement, he collapses in a coma, um, <laughs> presumably in a forest somewhere for this analogy. And <laughs> on, on the savannah. Yeah. The savannah. Uh, well, it, because like Sleeping Beauty, the only way to wake Matt up is with a kiss, right? So now I spend years searching the forests of Colorado for Matt until I finally find him like a sweet prince sleeping beneath the boughs of an apple tree. And I have to awaken him. I don't know what is going on with this analogy. Neither do I. What is this? So when Matt wakes back up now, the world Matt returns to will still have seen power creep happen because while I was looking for him, Joey was playing commander. That's not a reflection on Joey as a friend, um, although maybe it is. But as Joey's played, he's discovered that maybe search for tomorrow is a better card than cultivate in his deck. Um, maybe he saved up his allowance money and bought a three visits to replace his Kadama's reach. Oh my God. So just by tinkering with his deck, his deck got better and the power creep happened just accidentally. And it doesn't even have to be tinkering with intent to make a deck stronger. Um, you can just be playing your deck and find out th- this card is really annoying because it never quite works. So I'm going to replace it with a card that isn't frustrating because it does work better, and that's going to make your deck stronger. So there's some degree of power creep that's always going to happen in the format, even without new cards coming in, because people are just going to play their deck, and they're just going to get a little bit better 
constantly. Dana, that was a journey. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what any of that was supposed to mean. (laughs) Because you were asleep through the whole thing, Matt. You were were knocked out by the news of the the lack of new cards coming. So, so I get you because the, the way that I usually interpret power creep is very much um, on, alongside, like you said, that was one of three different types. And the way that I usually interpret p- uh, power creep is going to be probably your, your second type, which is the direct printing of cards that are superior to cards from yes. the past, which yep. then supplant the need for any of those previous cards to even be used at all. It's a continual upping of the ante. And it doesn't even have to necessarily, again, on Watsi's part, be intentional they'll just print a card that's very similar to a previous one. Like, I don't think there's any intentional attempt to make Putrefy be not a great EDH card anymore. It's just they have to print new cards every year, and the downsides in standard on an Assassin's Trophy, say, don't really wind up being a huge deal in EDH, so Assassin's Trophy winds up maybe being a better card, and you just perhaps don't have room for Putrefy anymore. So I think just... You know, accidentally new cards then sometimes supplant old ones. And when you put those in your deck, your deck gets better and it power creeps there as well. Yeah. And and you can see, I mean, just with the quit the, the printing of cards like Questing Beast, which is like right. a, a four mana creature that has every ability known to man, you compare that to a green four drop from, you know, back when the game was just like power creep. Like we can also right. just trace a line directly from that. Well, it, I think Questing Beast two degrees maybe what I would call the third type though, where I feel like it's an intentional attempt to make a card stronger than what existed before to maybe to either sell packs or just to keep players excited or whatever it is. I think there are some that aren't necessarily that, that are better, but it's not the intent to make you want to grab them and put them in your deck. I think things like Questing Beast probably qualify as the third type where they are intentionally increasing the power of some things. Mm, gotcha. So those are that's my breakdown. Like, like power creep based on just people getting better at commander. Power creep based on new cards coming in that just coincidentally enough supplant old ones and are better. And the last type where they're just trying to make stronger cards. Yeah, I, I mean your your second two points kind of combine into one of one of mine that I I definitely see happening where it's just new cards are printed that are just more efficient or maybe more versatile. Maybe they they turned one spell into a modal spell. Right. Uh, like like Felwar Stone kind of be getting taken over by arcane signet like that's mm-hmm. that is power creep it is yes. a two mana mana rock that is conditionally you know a five mana rock and then it goes into arcane signet that is always going to give you exactly what you need all your colors etc or mana lith into dark steel ingot same card just ingot is indestructible it is strictly better um but i think another type of power creep that happens is when uh old and expensive cards that already are very powerful and it doesn't have to be obvious or it can be uh, like Mana Crypt, for example, uh, when cards like that get reprinted and become easier to obtain. Uh, so mm-hmm. like the the Dual Masters, for example, or, or whatever, Double Dragon, Twin Power, Mario Bros. <laughs> double <the> expansion. <laughs> I don't know. The thing they just announced, Double Masters? Yes, there Double Masters. Okay. Uh, Mana Crypt is in that. So you, you, we can safely assume that like for a little while, at least, Mana Crypt will get cheaper, which means more people will be able to put them in decks or maybe... Uh, somebody buys a pack. You can't get Eternal Masters packs anymore unless you're going to like in a big event. So Mana Crypt is going to be out there. There are going to be more copies out there in the wild for players to pick up. That's going to give an opportunity for Power Creep to happen as well. So, I mean, I I, I bought three or four Mana Crypts back when they were $50 and after Eternal Masters. You can't do that. You can get one Mana Crypt for the price of I got however many of those. So just the fact that like whenever anything gets reprinted or when fetch lands go into packs again, that will cost an amount of power creep because people will be getting their their fetch lands for their decks to help fix their colors, which will, you know, make it more efficient in their decks. So that's my my other add on to your points, Dana, is that, you know, price can be prohibitive. So when cards yeah. do get cheaper, inevitably people are going to be able to afford them. More people put them in decks, et cetera. Well, and sometimes cards just escape the kind of general consciousness of EDH players, too, as a whole. Sure. Particularly, like, if a card hasn't seen a reprint since, you know, Mercadian Mask or something. And it doesn't have to be a particularly hard-to-find card or expensive either, but, like, 
unless you're doing a scryfall search for, you know, whatever weird specific thing that card might do, you just might not know it's out there physically as a card that exists and would work on your deck unless you're looking, for, you know, on scryfall or EDH rack and it happens to be a card that other people know about too. It's really easy to miss things. And sometimes that reprint makes you go, oh, that's a card that will be perfect. I didn't know it existed. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm sure that happens more often than yeah. any other type of power creep. Like we talk about Mercadia's downfall all the time. And as much as we on the podcast have preached like, hey, you should totally play this card. I mean, as much as I, I would like to be in denial about it, like we have a limited reach. Not everybody yeah, listens yeah, to right. us. They should. But, <laughs> right. Definitely. Uh, but if, if Mercadia's downfall were put into an actual, actual pack of magic cards again, I guarantee that effect would be so oh, much yeah. more uh, impactful as far as the amount of people putting it into decks than we can if we talked about every every single yeah. episode. Yeah, well, and that's that's kind of the funny thing too is like it, it's silly for us to assume that power is something new because it's definitively not. Like we have a lot of commanders that can go infinite with just one or two other cards these days, but that's also true. Like Prosh Food Chain has been a thing ever since 2013. You know, Gave goes infinite with. He accidentally nudged a, a vase on the table and oops, he <laughs> went infinite. Like that's kind of how, uh, how it's, it's been going for us for a while. So these powerful things have been around for a long time, but the concern, like the reason that we wanted to talk about this is because like recently there were bans in standard, <laughs> um, not in standard. Sorry. There were bans in a bunch of other formats. There's, but, but like, that's the thing. There's been a lot of bans, <laughs> like a lot, a right. lot of bans. And the thing for me is that power creep becomes a problem, especially when it, does the invalidation thing. Like you mentioned, yes. Arcane Signet has invalidated a lot of other really solid two-mana mana rocks that I would have felt a lot more comfortable playing. Like Felwar Stone is awesome. Cold Steel Heart is really good. But now they've just got, here's a strict upgrade. I don't even really feel like I want to play the uh, the diamonds anymore, like Sky Diamond or Marble mm -hmm. Diamond or whatever. Nope. I would rather just play the Arcane Signet, which, you know, price, expensive, yada, yada. But worse than that, Corvold I, is probably one that we'll talk a lot about on this episode. And we've aired grievances about this one before but like the thing that bugs me about Corvold is that it is based on the way that I was playing Jund Landfall for a while with Lord Windgrace Corvold was going to just be better at that strategy than Lord Windgrace and that's a thing that they had just made in the previous year and so for power creep to be that immediate but also for it to invalidate an entire other commander that I wanted to play with or for it to feel like oh well actually this, if, if I'm sacrificing all my lands, Corvold's just going to draw me more cards than Windgrace would if I were discarding stuff, and Corvold can be a win condition. He is astoundingly a an engine, an enabler, and a win condition all in one card, and that just felt like it would end up being better than whatever I was doing with Windgrace in Landfall. So th the fact that it budged out other niche stuff is what really got under my skin, like, a, a lot. And that's the type of power creep that really concerns me so, so heavily. Well, to, to make that even worse, Joey, though, um, I felt like, to a degree, that was all true of Windgrace at the time. Windgrace kind of uh, nudged out a lot of other Jun commanders, unless you were running a really, really specific style or, or deck that needed that one commander. Windgrace is just, like, a generically fantastic commander in Jund if all you're caring about is value. So I felt like Windgrace did that a little bit to a degree and then found out a year later it gets knocked out by something that does it even better. Yeah, I, well, it, I, I'm sure too. Just all these kind of maybe not obviously better, but you look at it and like you play it and you realize it is better. Like if we had Drawn from Dreams, which was a card that came out in uh, Corset 2020, uh, you look at the top seven cards of your library, you can put two of them into your hand rest on the uh, bottom of your library, that's a sorcery for four mana. If we had that first and then we got dig through time, do you know how up in arms people would be? Because like, oh, drawn from dreams, it's not a bad card at all. But if it got replaced all of a sudden, but since we had dig through time printed first, where we're just used to instant speed, pretty much always two or three mana to get that same effect at instant speed, like if the roles were reversed, if we had drawn from dreams first and then dig through time, like that would be a blatant break of power creep. Like there, there's just no reason. And that's, I think that's one of the reasons that drawn from dreams isn't played in that many decks, like maybe 2000 right now. I mean, yeah, it does like setting powerful cards. Th that's really the thing is that they forever shape the format. Like if you look on uh, Mark Rosewater's blog, um, some folks have asked him in the past, like, is there any way that power creep can be reversed? And his response is that power creep can only be reversed in formats where things rotate out. Commander is 
right. not that format. And the way that Watsi usually tries to, you know, deal with power creep is both by, you know, rotating out. They focus quite a lot of their efforts on standard, but they also, instead of continually upping, you know, these cards are going to be more powerful. You know, we, we had a three mana three three. Now we need to make three mana three four. Now we need to make a three mana four four. That's not what they're interested in. They rather try to push power into different areas rather than just upping the power in all of the areas at the same time. So in one standard, the Azorius deck might be good, but then in the next, you know, rotation, it's going to be the Rakdos deck and then green. And obviously they didn't uh, stop with green for, for a little <laughs> while, but, but for our sake, even designing, <laughs> designing just two cards that push the color pie or power levels too much means that the entire format is going to be shaped by it. As soon as you've made green really, really good, then those are here forever. Even if you just make one, I mean, I'll, I'll use Smothering Tithe as an example, although for the record, I think that Smothering Tithe is an appropriately powerful card compared to what every other color is doing in Commander right now. But like that is one staple that now is infused in the entirety of the format. So powerful cards are even more impactful in a format like ours, which is just makes them like, ah. <laughs> well, and c- can you imagine like ma- back when Richard Garfield actually was making magic as he intended. <laughs> um, Savannah I mean, the, the first was, set had like channel and fireball in the same thing. So like right, Power but, has always been a deal even when he was here. Right. But but you look at Savannah Lions was a rare and that is a two one for one. Could you imagine like if people, it, you know, Dana's weird Sleeping Beauty analogy there. <laughs> right. If they woke up today. Yeah. If somebody were playing 94, 95 and then they woke up in 2000, they're like, Oh my gosh, what what just happened? Like all of a sudden there's like all sorts of just insane cards at one mana and then there's Wild Nakaddle that came along, and then there's Elvish Reclaimer and all these different things. Like magic yes, gradually changing and introducing new and and powerful things, that's inevitable. Like they the what's the saying like if you're not growing you're dying. I, I agree that like there's got to be some sense of that with magic because you always want to be pushing the borders. And even Rosewater has said, you know, if, if you haven't gotten a card banned, you're not trying hard enough because well, I, yet, I'm not, yes, I'm not sure. mistakes happen every now and then. I'm, I feel like I've read that too, but I feel like that's something that he's pushed back against before. I think that that used to be a Richard Garfield design philosophy, but eventually that changed. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I guess like. I don't know. I want to source that quote. Is kind of how sure, I feel. sure. Somewhere along the lines of reading design articles, I, I have seen that quote because I I know it was said in reference to Bitter Blossom and Skull Clamp, uh, which which are very very powerful cards. Sure, um, but I think if they're not pushing enough limits at the same time, then everything kind of gets stagnant, and then we resort to all the old same cards. And I know, like as slow as I am to adjust decks, I do enjoy brewing and updating decks every now and then and and seeing what the new landscape could be and to your guys's points i feel like players are almost punished for not keeping up and for not adapting well and they're also punished for yeah in terms of keeping up they're also punished for not playing the newest commander i i think the most dangerous element of power creep is is in the command zone um you know, when they print, if they were to print a better Swords to Plowshares tomorrow, um, I don't know what that would be. It would be Swords to Plowshares where they gain the same life minus one. Okay. It would be a strictly better Swords to Plowshares. If they printed that, every deck that could run white would probably be running that in addition to Swords, in addition to Path. Um, but that, that fantastically powerful card isn't going to necessarily sh- rechange excuse me, reshape the face of the game as it gets played in the pods you sit down in. If they print a better Chulane, it does shake things up and and changes things and it invalidates other decks like Joey mentioned before. It makes it so, not even decks in the same color scheme, when the commanders are so, so powerful, it just invalidates entire decks because they're not strong enough. I can no longer play my... um, you know, Bardo Runax giant tribal deck or whatever it is you've built, like something that was once a deck that was maybe not a all-star, but like was a deck that you could sit down and, you know, win pods with if you played smart and, and got a little bit lucky. Those kind of decks are just no longer playable for the most part as they put stronger and stronger things in the command zone. I think that's where it's really dangerous having those commanders that are increasingly better and better. 
Oh, I, I completely, that's, that's the thing for me is that I don't feel comfortable playing something janky and fun anymore. I feel in many games, even in my tuned decks, uh, like I feel if I have not found an engine, I get left behind. If, if I'm sitting down against a, a commander that is drawing cards, drawing cards, drawing cards, drawing cards, drawing cards, and like I've just got my one thing out there and I don't have an engine set up, I feel like I can't actually compete. And so playing a commander that doesn't have that aspect to it when so many commanders these days are able to provide a game-winning engine all on their own, I, I feel like it would be deeply unwise for me to try and build something that's jaking and fun to then play against strangers because I, I feel like there's almost no way that I can compete in that kind of thing, which is obnoxious because Commander is supposed to be the format where you can compete, where you can play whatever. But the the feeling is kind of just creeping in a little bit that I'm not able to do that. And 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 I'm looking I. I compiled a list of stuff that had been banned, um, just like looking over the years. Um, and I feel like the numbers kind of support that notion that it's not just a feeling. So so here are some numbers based on like the past decades worth of bans. In 2011, there were two cards banned. In 2012 through 2016, oh, sorry, this is just uh, standard bans. Uh, 2011, two cards banned in standard. It was like Jason Stoneforge. 2012 through 2016, nothing banned. Then 2017. You had five bands like Emrakul or Smuggler's Copter. 2018, you had four bands like Attune with Ether or Rampaging Ferocidon, Justice for Ferocidon. Uh, then in 2019, <laughs> there were five things banned. In 2020, we haven't had any standard bands just yet, but still, like we had, you know, the Okos and the Field of the Dead and, and all that in 2019. But like, that's, th- that's just standard. Like, we went from zero bands for many, many years to five bands, uh, an average of five bands in the past years. And like, who knows what's about to happen for standard bannings in 2020. But like, I, that's the kind of thing that informs my desire to play other formats. I don't feel comfortable playing standard because I don't know if the decks will like, <laughs> will like happen if that will be okay. But like, here, here's stuff for banned in all formats going back a decade. We had like in 2013, there were two bands in like modern, uh, in 2014, like Deathrite Shaman was banned from a format or whatever. Um, there were four bands in 2015, like Dig Through Time. Uh, 2016, we had five bands, stuff like Splinter Twin. And again, I'm pretty sure a lot of this was modern. 2017, there were eight bands. 2018, this is six bands. 2019, there were 14 cards banned across all formats. And I'm not counting anything from Pioneer bands because it was created in 2019. Now in 2020, there have been 10 cards banned across different formats so far. It yeah, is was, May. It was, is just I was, May. <laughs> I was going. I was going to say, yeah, you're talking about just standard, but the paper Ecoria in paper had been out for like three days, and they banned Luris out of Vintage already. Which the last time they had to ban a card out of Vintage was Shahrazad, which tells <laughs> you like how ludicrous Companion is, because Vintage is the format where you know well, all Black these crazy Lotus things happen. Legal. Yeah, Black Lotus <laughs> is legal. Like the only things that are banned in 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 vintage are all the dexterity and anti cards and all that kind of that that entire category that Shahrazad and freaking Luris. Everything else is out there. Like how you you have to be pushing boundaries so hard in order for anything to be going on in vintage for it to shake up the format, et cetera. And and they did that so much that they had to ban Luris because it's in every single game that you play Lurus with and like commander like we don't even care like it's it's so silly Com- companion more like companion oh okay uh, <laughs> but like i've got more numbers here actually so the cedh uh tier list there's um a tier list of the commanders that they consider like the the exemplars of the format or the titans of of uh competitive edh play which granted none of us play it's well beyond all of us um but i there's a tier list that is constantly referenced by a lot of the cedh luminaries that i kind of visited i, I just wanted to see what was going on there there are 25 total commanders in the tier one and tier 1.5 category eight of them are from 2019 stuff like kinnon riel corvold ukima which has a, a combo thing going on urza that's Almost a third of the 25 top commanders, according to competitive EDH, are just from 2019 or 2020. That's that's a big number to me. Or here's another thing, sort of a metric that, you know, if we all say that, you know, the most powerful worlds in magic are draw a card. Well, I looked up the phrase in Scryfall. I did an advanced search for the phrase whenever draw a card for commanders like Kadena, for example, that say whenever you do X, draw a card. There are 63 total commanders with that text. 28 of them came from 2019 or 2020. That's about 42% of the commanders that say do X to draw a card. And I don't even think that I would be too upset if they were 
if they were do something narrow like Kadena, like play a morph, draw a right. card. That's a little more narrow than Corvold saying, play a fetch land, draw a card. Or Chulane saying, play Elvish Visionary, draw two cards, put Gaia's Cradle into play, win the game. Right. <laughs> like, I believe that's the actual text on Chulane, but <laughs> so. I, I, I could be wrong. Uh, the translation, I don't know. But yeah, you are right. Like, the fact that there's just so many do something that's part of the normal game, no matter who your commander is, draw a card. Those effects are pretty warping because they're rewarding you just for playing the game as you normally would with literally any other commander. So, and, and we've said a couple of times, like, I, I don't mind some of those rewards being niche, uh, like Kadena or whatever. And if they make narrow commanders, like if they would have had the new Mardu human commander, if it, if it was something narrow centered around humans to draw a card, I don't think I would have minded so much as it were just, mm-hmm. yeah, play a fetch land, draw a card. Uh, get your Zulaport cutthroat trigger, draw a card. Those are the types of things that it's it's so generic to those colors that it's hard not to play it because you're almost punished for not. Yeah, that that's the punish for not is a, is exactly the right way to phrase it. Um, you know, if if they were to print a new the the new source of postures I was talking about, and and I lose a game because somebody had that perfect answer, um, I walk away from that game thinking, okay, how do I not put myself in a position where I'm going to lose that source of shares or the source of shares too. I think we'll call it electric boogaloo. Um, <laughs> how, how do I not lose to that? When I lose to a core vault, I walk away from a game thinking, okay, what new deck do I need to build to beat that core vault? It's, it, it no longer becomes about adjusting my play or making tweaks to my deck to handle the problem. It becomes, okay, I guess I have to build. Um, Tulane now, or I guess I have to build, you know, Tesa Karlov, or that's my literally the thought process I have is I can't compete with these commanders without playing one of these commanders. And, and it does like that sounds, I, I don't know. I, if, if I were a person in the comments, I'd be like, come on, you guys are just complaining a whole lot just to complain. Like you should play more removal play. And that's the thing. A lot of these commanders make such an impact the first time that they come down that playing removal still doesn't offset the, the power generation that they've already created. Right. And, and, and I get, I actually get why cards are designed this way because they don't, when, when you're designing cards for like a precon or whatever, Especially for Commander, which the games take like an hour, if you're trying to get new people to play this, you don't want to design Commanders that like if a single piece of removal completely disrupts the entire their entire strategy, they're stuck top decking for the next hour. Like no one's going to want to keep playing Commander if that's the first experience that they have. So having Commanders that help supplant that and that allow you an engine to maintain status throughout the entire hour long game, that's the the type of thing that I can see why they want to design that to make sure that new players maintain a good experience of the duration of a brand new game with these Commanders that they can sort of keep fueled. The thing is, is just that that affects everyone else who's already been playing and who adjust for that. uh, who has to now adjust for that type of thing, especially because so many of those commanders now go infinite by accident in a whole lot of ways. And the other thing that like worries me is how this affects the folks who play those commanders and don't realize their reputation. A buddy of mine has a mono green Salvala deck, which he didn't know could go infinite. And now he's like, well, crap, this is like my favorite character, but everyone hates my deck. And I, I feel for him. I'm terrified of him whenever I see it. And it's fine. I can like bring that level but like that's not the thing that he wanted to do with the deck and it's also the kind of thing that's difficult for him to not accidentally stumble upon an infinite mana combo in the deck because of the power of the commander as well um so it also just makes me a little concerned for like the new players who just wanted to play something that they feel is janky and fun it's just like hey this is really cool this is a really great card and they're absolutely right these are really great cards they should be excited about them they're earning a reputation that makes us seem like we're curmudgeonly and complainy and whatever and it makes it seem like we don't like all of that and that we're just being grumps about magic but we're just seeing the way that the format used to be and seeing it trend towards something that seems to oust the the aspect of the format that we used to love so much And for me, it's not I don't want people to do big and powerful things because that's why I play Commander uh, to to have those experiences. I I get my my competitive kicks from the 60 card formats and I come to Commander to do things, you know, big and expressive. If I wanted to be brutally efficient, I'm I'm not coming to Commander for that, which is why like Commanders like Corvold to me 
and, and I know we're using some of these the, the brawl precon commanders, but they're they're just kind of the stand-ins, I think, and the same as Luris as all of our kind of points directed, maybe fairly or unfairly, are kind of going at, at some of these specific cards. Yeah, they're big um, examples. Yeah, big examples. Uh we don't mean this to be completely exclusive. We're just kind of using those because they're the, the most commonly and and one of the more recent examples of some just insane commanders and cards in general. Um, but if I saw something that had Corvold, like I said, but it was just more narrow. It was it was rewarding people for doing something that they can't do anywhere else. And so generically, I would be much more on board with it. Like if it was, if Chulane was a tribal deck, for example, if it was play a, a druid or whatever and do those things, or maybe some color restrictions. I think that's another thing too, is is I want to see creative decks. I want, I want... Like like I said, I I build like a Timmy, but I play like a Spike. I want to see people express themselves. I want to see people experience different things. And so having color access like you do with with Corvold or Tulane or Alila even, um, pairing up some of those colors like black and green or, or blue and green or just green and green. I mean, green in general <laughs> has we've, we've joked about being pretty powerful. If some of these just had like maybe one color less, so you had a little more restriction on it, I think it would be a little easier to deal with or or be at least for me, and this is just my preference, it'd be more interesting to see across the table. Well, or, or yeah, I, I agree with that too, because I think it's, it's not entirely just the power, it's the power and how easy it is to access. I, I feel like you can play really, really badly with a Corvald or a Chulane deck and still generate so much value that you don't get punished for it. The decks are, the, the commanders are really, really strong and they're effortlessly strong for the most part. You know, you could print a commander that, that had a tap ability, draw seven cards that would be crazy, crazy strong, but you could build roadblocks into that somehow that required you to do, you know, X, Y, and Z to draw those seven cards that would make that power difficult to achieve. That's not what they're doing right now. They're printing really, really strong commanders that you don't need to <clears throat> do anything above and beyond or even play particularly cleverly to access that power. And I'm not saying, I don't want to like say that's easy mode and that's not a reflection of anyone playing those commanders. Yeah. But the reality is Tulane rewards you just for sitting down and having a bunch of cards in a deck. That's it. Yeah. And, and, and just to clarify, because I feel like at this point, we we probably should have done it earlier. We are not faulting anybody for wanting for sure. that, those types of experiences. If if Tulane oh, or Corvold, if that's the type of play group that you are in, then Absolutely. definitely do that. Yeah. As long as your play group. But this is just kind of us making observations on the format in general. This is not to say anybody that's doing any of this is wrong because we are doing some of those things ourselves. Like I, I spent $45, $50 on a bunch of arcane signets for all my decks because at this point, like power creep, I playing with Joey, another, maybe another example of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you playing, playing games with different people, like I feel like my decks need to be power crept up a little bit in order to compete with some of Joey's decks, for example, because maybe some of my decks are more on the, the five and six level and his are, are on seven and eight. So I need, in order just to keep up, I, I have to power creep up a little bit. So it's something that inevitably is going to happen. And and we're not saying anything to fault anybody for desiring those types of, ex of experiences. If that is what you and your play group are going after, then then do it and, and, and please have fun. Um, we're trying to make more broad strokes though than than dialing down on anybody specific. Yeah, there's there's a feeling of dread that we're trying to find how we feel about um, just like we, we're noticing a trend. And I looked at numbers to see if that trend was justified. And based on standard bannings, I feel like it is. But it is really just like th this is our way of figuring out how we feel just by talking it through. Um, but there's like been a marked increase in power um, with this stuff. And it's changing the ways that we play and like the ways that we used to play are not inherently good. Like that would be a status quo bias if we sure. were to say that like the way that it used to be is the way that it ought to be. Um, but it is more for me, like I don't feel comfortable playing the janky stuff anymore. Matt, you observe that my decks tend to be a lot more like in the eight power level range, which I think is a, a fair number. I think that like scaling on a one to 10 scale is a little difficult to exactly sure. communicate. But like, yeah, the, the stuff that I do tends to be like 
it is informed by the fact that a lot of the other folks that I've that I play with or that I've played against before, I feel the pressure to find one of those engines, and then that feeds itself into the way that you play. Funnily enough, the opposite is also happening, where I'm like, I want to find Janky Dex. I just want to find you know just for fun, like a oh here's my Harry Potter theme deck or something like that. But the times that I've tried doing that, I feel like there there was never a chance of them winning, and. I want to be able to express myself in that way, but I also want it to have a, a, to have a chance in the ring. Yes. I don't need to win for it to be a good game. I don't need to win to have a fun time in this game, but I still do want it to at least have a ghost of a chance. And at the moment, I've I've got this weird feeling that it, it that it can't. So so here's a question then for you guys: How would you prescribe players handle power creep in the in their play groups then? Because like like you said, Joey, you feel like you can't play janky, more casual decks. Uh, for fear of falling behind, how is something that that I guess is a takeaway for people to how how to handle those situations? Then, but to be honest, I'm I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know if I have a, an answer off the top of my head. Fair. Yeah, I I, I think it's um, it's different now than it was a couple of years back. A couple of years back, the power level conversation. If you were in a group and things were escalating a little bit, it was. Maybe easier to have a conversation and say, Hey, could everyone not run, uh, Mana Crypt? Or could we slow it up a little bit in, on, in, in the, you know, acceleration or slow it up a little bit in, in whatever? Um, you know, Hey, no one here really likes playing stacks and it, it's causing issues. Can, can someone maybe play, uh, take a few of those stacks pieces out of their deck? I think it's yeah. much trickier today when basically you have to say, hey, can you not play Tulane and Korvald and Yeruk and Tesa and Muldrotha and like <laughs> any of these, you know, commanders that have been printed in the last two years that Joey was talking about that are now on that, you know, CDH tier list. Um, that's a much more difficult thing. And I don't know what the solution is. The reality is the solution very much seems to be everyone's building those decks. Like looking at the EDH top list, those commanders are pretty consistently at the top. I think, unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess it depends on your point of view. The response everyone seems to have to deal with these things is to just do the same thing. Yeah, our, an arms race is definitely a situation um, that my old play group we we came into where, like like what we do, we would joke about. It, we called our slump busters, where they're just like obscenely powerful decks, and it and it. One person would upgrade a card, then another person would upgrade two, then I would have to upgrade three, and and everybody kind of pushed each other. And that was just kind of the evolution of it. And then we realized, like, well, this the like our our decks and our playgroup, our our meta, whatever you want to call it, like we evolved evolved to a place where it's not really what we were looking for to begin with. So we we had to hit a reset button. And so maybe that is a con like it's a conversation that your playgroups have to address. And that doesn't help, you know, say if you go to a a uh, uh, magic fest and you go to the command zone that's much harder to have i know but maybe it just it, it, it puts pressure on play groups then and finding out like what your desired experience is collectively and how you can address that and if power creep is part of that then then like we said go for it but if it is like how do you handle that conversation within your play group well i mean a play group is also just one fashion of playing but there are plenty of folks who don't have the good fortune to have a regular play group and they sure. really do rely upon the gameplay experiences with other players and so that isn't really a conversation that can even sometimes be had um you know traveling trying to navigate the power level conversation is always really really tricky and like i said i'm not sure that picking just an integer um will be a good way to capture a power level of anyone's deck but i guess I guess before I I keep going with this line of thought though like I what I can't get out of my head is not how we respond but also why is it happening <laughs> um because a thing that jumps out to me like when I was looking through the the band and standard numbers earlier um we had like zero in 2012 and then zero in 2013, zero in 2014, all the way through 2016. And then in 2017, we had five bands, 2018 we had four bands and 2019 we had five bands, all of all of that just in standard. And I'm like, how is this happening when they specifically created a play design team to stop this kind of thing after they missed how good Felidar Guardian was in standard? Um, and I kind of wonder if that's actually exactly the problem. As soon as you've got some folks that are basically inspecting the set for quality, making sure that nothing is broken, if they've missed one of those cards, then 
it prompts other folks like to see, oh, this is fine. They've said that these areas are the, the most powerful things that they're interested in, which means maybe we can push up those other areas that they said they didn't really care about. And that might be how we get something like Oko, because all it takes is one integer to be different on a card, and then boom, you get an Oko. Like, I feel like the play design team might actually be kind of one of the reasons why we are getting so many consistent things is because it is there to be a check and balance against the power levels. But if they miss on one of those examinations in even one card, then that can completely upset everything. And so as soon as they've given a pass to something, if they have missed, then that means that design or R&D or whatever can push in one of those other areas. And that might be why we're getting stuff. The, the play design that feels to me is having the opposite effect of its intention because it is inspecting things ever so slightly missing the mark but giving a pass, which then gives them permission to go forward with the powerful stuff. Well, Does that and make this, sense? Yeah, this is a thought that I kind of had um, on our on a recent stream of ours where I, I'm not sure that Rosewater or Aaron Forsyth or whoever it is that makes those final decisions in R&D has the ability or the power to say, we cannot properly play test this and, and properly balance it yet. So we're not going to print it yet. Uh, I think there's a lot of pressure on them to to crank out so much and maybe there's too much pressure on them. Maybe the play design team was overburdened. I, I don't know. I, I'm not in the building. Yeah, well, yeah, it's a hard job. I don't. Yeah, yes. I hope it doesn't sound like I was being disrespectful. I think that that's the thing that's true of any inspective team. Like it, that is a, 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 any corporation. Yeah, like, but I, I think my my point more is they they aren't able to play test everything. And Rosewater said on his on his blog um, we're not able to play test um, extensively for format XYZ. We focus on standard and limited, which is fine. That That's their bread and butter. I, I, I get that. Um, but the, the repercussions of that and, and some of the impact, like they, they even said, you know, we did not foresee Companion doing this large of an impact to this many formats. Um, I think they, they might need the ability to, to push back with who, who the powers that be and say, we're not comfortable putting this to print quite yet. We need to test this further. And I don't think they have the ability on that. And that's not to anybody's fault within Watsi, but I think that's something that, that we are feeling as players, though. Well, I also think, and I'm, I'm going to backtrack on this after I say it, but I have a reason for that. I do think there's a large portion of their team there that, that doesn't understand what commander players want. They've, they started printing really, really strong commander cards because they seem to think commander players all wanted to play really, really broken things. And I don't think that's what commanders players wanted. However, in doing that, I think they've attracted people to commander that weren't playing, you know, three, four, five, six, eight years ago who do want to do that. And they've then bought those cards and reinforced you know, via sales numbers that those cards sell packs and sell precons. And, and I think the demographics by, by them not understanding commander or, or maybe wanting to change who played commander. I guess maybe it's intentional. I, I have no way of knowing. Regardless, I think they, what the game was and who played it six years ago and what it is today, the demographics that have changed. There's absolutely a large mm -hmm. portion of commander players who want to play Corvault and they want to play Tulane. So it's I, it's become a self-fulfilling thing. I don't know. I don't think I can – I wouldn't sign off on that. I, I do think that, like, if you listen to Gavin talk on literally any of the podcasts that he's guested on, like, I think that they do have a firm grasp of what people want to see in Commander. Like, the most important thing – for commander decks isn't that they're powerful it's that they make you excited that they open up new design space and that's why they keep on like the fact for example i think that they missed the mark on the commander 2020 precons i don't think that the mutate deck makes mutate viable but they do know that when we get a mechanic in a standard set we want to make a commander deck based around mm -hmm. that mechanic yeah like that is a signal to me that they do understand what commander players are See, after i i don't think that that running this you know every yarok deck is going to run the same exact cards for the most part every chulain deck for the most part every Korval deck every tesa karlov deck for the most part every motorotha deck those aren't opening up new design spaces they're opening up no space at all they're strong commanders that are going to encourage you to run 
absolutely the absolutely best card to take advantage of that commander's ability. I don't think it opens up anything at all. I think I, I see. I'm, I I don't agree with that. I think those are uh, so. So I guess my my point. I'll, I'll temper both of yours is I, I, I 1000% believe there's enough space within this game for everybody with all their different goals to have a place. Um, sure. I, I don't think that it's bad necessarily and it, that people want to play Yarok, g- generic Yarok. That also is why I think Dana, you and I agree so much on maybe if Chulane or Yarok or any of those commanders we've talked about had some sort of of narrow fit where they they get the same payoffs, but it was just a little more limited in scope, where it would probably be a little easier to stomach for players like you, Dana. It's it's less yes, that that's 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 absolutely it. It's less that they're that they're strong, really good commanders to me, so much that it is because that's not a bad thing. I, I don't think that strength and power in the game is is a negative thing i think it's only a problem when it eliminates a right. vast majority of other cards and the reality is for all the new commanders that have been added in the last 2 to 3 years to the game it's eliminated twice that many from play like the the card pool has gotten smaller by getting bigger like by adding more cards they've right. narrowed the game right sure. and that that's my concern too i just i i wouldn't trace the line back to watching in some way not understanding commander i i I feel like they also play it they really would get it that like here's what is the most exciting piece about it that it is expressive like the this is why for example i liked commander 2018 when it came out despite the fact that the product had like zilch for reprints and and stuff like that but like the commanders themselves opened up doors i didn't even know could be opened Eureka is mm-hmm. a stroke of genius aminatu is really really clever that is a brand new open door uh like i or is it artifacts granted we'd already had like is it artifacts you know joira had been printed in dominaria shortly beforehand so she kind of ate into the is it artifacts but they also still knew that commander players were hungry for is it artifacts and they give us three new is it artifact commanders like that it signals to me that they do have their finger on the pulse appropriately it's just that some of the integers keep getting okoed <laughs> yes um like the the risk they don't pull the reins all the way back on some of those and maybe that's because of testing maybe my play design thing was like you know maybe i've hit the nail in the head or maybe mm-hmm. i'm way off I, I really don't know but i i the thing that i definitely agree with you on though is that despite the card pool getting bigger it does feel like it is consolidating it does feel like it is shrinking and that it is eliminating the stuff that i used to want to be able to do um and and that's just a, a little bit terrifying like i said earlier we were kind of like airing some grievances but it is it there's a sensation of dread that i have <laughs> that i'm still struggling to put into words but i see companions and i'm like literally why so i so so what i think what were they thinking yeah so what what i'm hearing actually is there, there's kind of two different arguments going on by you guys dana you're more worried about i think that the, the amount of staples that go into a deck like cards are, that are just so good like we we talked about on a recent episode of the podcast where uh the good stuff cards there are just so many of them out there that it's pushing out identity within decks yeah i think it's more the commanders though specifically like the good stuff sure. cards still allow you to play uh, what did i use before bartle runax giant tribal like <laughs> right. the good stuff cards still let you play that deck maybe maybe it's even easier like maybe then by having better removal spells so you can access in that deck it makes it puts you on a more even footing with the arkham dagson deck that was you know a big deal once upon a time and really kind of mm-hmm. no longer is it's for me, it really is the commander because I think that's what changes everything. Having it always there, always be strong, super easy to build your deck to lean entirely into its strengths and, and generate almost infinite advantage. That That's where it winds up being a big deal for me. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, and, and then Joey, you're more just the, the, the amount of just how powerful the, all these individual cards are and maybe not the, the number of them out there, but just the strength within said cards. Like you said, like it's it's integers. It's if Oko's plus ability was a minus, it would be a completely different card. If uh, Cyclonic Rift read all instead of each opponent, etc. Those are the types of things that just keep coming through that gradually are just kind of push other cards out of the format. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm concerned about the staples within decks. And I, again, like some of those staples, the Rhystic Studies enable you to play the janky stuff more and more often. They're priced out of many players' hands. But I see cards 
like, I don't know. Again, I, th- I'm, I worry a lot that we're going to sound like we're just being grumpy because all these stories, mm-hmm. but, but like we see an arcane signet and we respond cynically because to us, it looks like a cynical design. Um, and, and it sort of disrespects the, the stuff that came before it in a way, because now those cards aren't worth playing anymore. And that isn't something that necessarily needed to be upgraded in the way that it did. Um, and it just, I also like, I, guys, I actually miss playing other formats. I only play commander, <laughs> uh, but I miss playing standard. I had a lot of fun when I used to play it, but ever since Kaladesh kind of set the stage for, and now there are regular bannings in standard, I'm too afraid to play it. I don't feel comfortable playing in a, a format like standard if Oko's and once upon a times and Veil of Summers are the norm because I, I don't want to risk that. And like, we haven't had any standard bannings yet in 2020, but they're considering changing the way that the companion mechanic works in its entirety as an extreme as an extreme measure to respond to it. But like, that's just how utterly crazy it's gotten. <laughs> I think that's a separate criticism altogether is they, they didn't realize how powerful a mechanic was. Like, I think if the same with affinity back in the day, uh, when that came out, the, the mechanic affinity for artifacts, if they could redo that, I think they would. If they could redo Delve, I think they would. They, I, I share that that struggle that sometimes they undersell mechanics and Companion is just the most recent um, and, and therefore we're using it the most. But yes, I, I agree that Companion is, I think they undersold how difficult the payoffs were for 60 card formats or how, how the, the restrictions, I should say. And, and you know, to, to defend them there, um, you know, they get yelled at when they print Outlast, too, as a mechanic. Like, the player base yeah. then gets mad when they print mechanics that aren't strong. So, it, it's well, a terribly difficult line to walk. Outlast was amazing fun in Cons Limited. Like, a, a ton, a ton <laughs> of fun. Con, that's still, like, my favorite draft environment because of Outlast. Like, I, I, I don't want to make it sound like... But I guess, like, that's kind of the spot that it sometimes put us puts us into when we're doing a set review. It's just, like, we see new cards that look kind of funky, but they're on the Outlast power level. And they're like, well realistically we can't play any of these in commander because they also printed a free counter spell that everyone is going to play right and like that just makes things a, a little bit difficult uh, to to try and suss out there because we want to enjoy those things but th- so many of the designs even within a single precon feel invalidated by other cards within that same precon um, i look at gavi for example and i i like cycling Jeskai, that sounds kind of cool, but the folks i know who are building that deck are kind of like oh actually maybe shabraz and brawlin is going to be more powerful than than Gavi would be um, when I want to do cycling stuff because they give me a, a more direct line of win condition to it. Oh, and as soon as I'm starting to build the Shabraz and Brawlin deck, turns out that it should actually just be a wheels deck instead. So maybe cycling isn't really going to be what happens. Like that's the kind of power level that. Well, that look at what we saw like, with, ah! with 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 Andre Falconrath. We saw the same thing. Like like that was intended to be a madness deck, and it really isn't. It's just a deck to loop through to your combo. Um, and if you want to, and, and then that becomes a kind of a loop, even if you don't want to do that, then you have to contend with everyone assuming that's what you're doing and playing right. against you with the assumption that that's what you're doing at the power level, that that's what you're doing. So then maybe you have, you're forced to then do that if you want to keep Angie around. Right. And again, commanders have gone infinite in, in that way, like all the time. Parash has existed, Gabe has, has existed forever. Right. So it's, it's never an individual thing, but. I'm looking at trends for the most recent stuff, and that's the stuff that concerns me, um, that there have been an, a, a substantial increase in bans um, ever since 2017. And that's the type of line that I'm just very, very – I don't like watching that <laughs> that line increase on the graph. Well, And, and I guess I kind of – I'll push back on people like feeling obligated to, that they have to play – Sharknado and and Skyrider, whatever the, the the partners are. I mean, I think people that that want to build Gavi, having seen them both at the same time, people kind of made up their minds right away if they wanted to play Gavi and play the cycling deck, or if they wanted to play the wheels um, with the Sky Shark. I, I think that decision tree was all, since we saw them both at the same time. I don't. I kind of struggle with the thought process of they saw Gavi. And then they play the deck, and then they went, then they switched, and then they made the switch again to the theme. I th- I think since I've, we I've saw got, them, I've got two friends who are going through that, who went through that journey. So uh, granted, my that's totally anecdotal on my part, but that is a thing that I've seen. Sure, and I think though, just just knowing you and guessing if if your play group is anything like you, which I mean, we we tend to group ourselves with people that think the same way. 
you guys have more powerful decks. I mean, knowing you, Joey, like, I, like I've had to upgrade my decks in order to keep up with your power level. So if your friends are trying to keep up with your power level, for example, that that would be more true. If there are playgroups that are kind of more casually focused, they're not trying to be as efficient as possible. I still think the players that were originally attracted to Gavi still are sticking to that as as a deck. Okay, that's probably. I mean, there's definitely now. It's it's definitely not everyone for sure. Right. I, I think it's the power and what the playgroup's desired power level is is kind of dictating that transformation if it does happen. And not to say that's wrong if you are or aren't. That's just how those playgroups are, are are shaping out. And that's maybe like I guess my big thing is what is the desired experience for the playgroup uh, and how that relates to power level of an, every individual deck. Here's, I think, the thing that gives me the most uh, hope among my consistent feeling of of omnipresent dread. Um, the the thing that makes me hopeful is the trend that we see with commanders like Vanifar. Like when we looked on Ediatrek and we saw that Vanifar out the gate was extraordinarily popular. And then it really fell down. And something like Tesa, which, you know, Tesa has a bunch of power that it can offer, but Tesa is by no means like one of the most powerful commanders that you can ever play but like that one eventually took over and and i'm i'm hoping that we continually get that same level of trajectory like i i think that that is the kind of thing that we can expect to see when there's another commander like like nethroi for example everyone is probably aware that nethroi is going to be used more as a spell from the command zone than as an actual commander because it will just get you a bunch of stuff from your graveyard and just plop it right into play um and most likely you'll find some type of game-winning combination of creatures that will uh do stuff with that but like i i suspect that that uh, commanders like this or like Kinnan, um might have a similar trajectory to Vanifar, where out the gate, people are really excited to do the, the really crazy cool busted thing. But since those decks are a little bit linear in what they do, eventually that popularity might fall off as folks maybe decide to shift to something else that has a bit more variance or a bit more expression or, or, or something like that. Um, and that's, that's my hope. We, it's something that we've seen happen before, and I hope that it continues to be the same way again. Those powerful commanders are certainly appealing right off the bat, but um, the thing that I like so much about EDH is that it isn't just a focus on uh, something powerful and consistent, but also something on variance and expression and doing something new and and feeling like that, that weird joie de vivre of a game every time, too. Uh, my cynical rebuttal to that, Joey, is I think Vanif- Vanifar is the exception. <laughs> and I think the reason Vanifar is the exception is because it's so absolutely linear that you really can't tell yourself that it was you that made that deck win the game. You're just going to go <laughs> grab the same card every time and, and, and it, it's going to, it's very much the same exact play. Whereas, Chulain allows you to fiddle around and do so many different things that, yep, that's me that turned this around. I think Chulain, I think there's an element of that to these commanders where something like Korvald and Chulain, particularly, there's so much going on that it allows people to feel like it's not the commander that (laughs) enabled the win. It was you. Whereas I think that was much more difficult with him like Vanifar. So (laughs) I I don't know. I I, I'm a little, little cynical about that, particularly because old, old man Dana just, he he wants to right. But like Vanifar is the only one whose numbers did drop. We're not seeing a, a, a fall off of Chulain and Corval decks. No, that's absolutely fair because, and that's the thing, like there's almost two separate versions of power level. Like I had mentioned, ooh, a bunch of new stuff from 2019 and onward is near the top of the CDH tier list, which isn't even the thing that we play at. Right. Like, but there's also the thing below that where the the floor on the more casual uh, side of things, the th- that is also rising too. And like by a lot. And like those are two different stages of it where one of them is like straight up linear combo town, but the other one is still like it, it can absolutely feel expressive. And and there are plenty of fo- like Corvald is appealing and it should be. It's amazing. Corv- right. I, I yeah. attempted. I'm so tempted to build Corvald. Are you kidding? That that thing's ridiculously good. Um and and God, I re- I really hope that folks don't hear us just like Yes, on Corval this whole time and be like, oh, these guys are such commudgeons. They don't like Corval. Like, what? It's not that we don't like any individual one of these things. If you come up to one of us and play against us, and you've got a Corval deck, we're going to be like, oh boy. But like, we're going to play you at a command fest whenever those are able to happen again. Like, we're excited to play against folks with whatever deck that they have. Like, <laughs> D- Dana will not. Dana, Dana, Dana will. Ups- but like, <laughs> but my my point though is just like, it's not any individual one of these pieces. It is right. just a, the trend overall is what concerns me, and I don't know how yeah. they can pump the 
the brakes on that. And Matt, when you asked me earlier how we as players can help, uh, you know, to assuage some of that fear that I'm at least feeling, I also don't know the answer to that. And that's kind of just where I'm at. Like, I, I want to be comforted and I don't know how to be comforted. Um, and I see the the engine, um, I see the vehicle going faster, but not safer when it comes to car design. And that concerns me still. I mean, I, I think it kind of goes back to my point. And, and we've said this many times on the podcast before is just communicate, talk to your play group, talk to the people you sit down and play games with. Like what, what is your experience? What are you looking for? Um, to shout out another podcast at commander sphere with with rachel and dan that is the whole basis of besides being hilariously awesome and and enjoyable to, to listen to all they do is talk about hey if this works for your playgroup, do it if it doesn't how can you fix it and and i love that point that they have of yeah man there, there's there's space for the cedh the nines and tens and there's space for the people who only play cards that open them out of the packs and and everywhere in between and and i just finding what works for your playgroup and and how to how to manage all of those all at the same time that's an art that we can't really give specific advice for but i mean talk to your playgroup man that that's the biggest thing i i guess i can i can encourage folks to do yeah it's, it's a hard conversation to have is my only concern it's just yeah. like hey your corval deck wins consistently can you unbuild that deck is not a realistic conversation um right but so, i think you i think you can have the conversation of hey can you power down that corval deck like we get that you love the commander um it's it's crept up to be the best deck and it's not fun to play against so how can you encourage them to maybe build a different deck or let them play it one game a night. And if they're the type of player that that says, no, I, I want this Corval deck and I want to play it a lot um, and you guys just have to deal with it, chances are like that person probably isn't the most fun to play with in general. Well, I'm, I'm not even sure if that's fair. Like if you were to tell me, you've mentioned before that my decks are much more tuned uh, than the decks that you're playing. If you were to have a conversation with me about them not being fun for you to play against, that's going to be difficult for me to hear just because like there's always, you've put so much time, so much care into your commanders that it feels like part of your ego's in there maybe. And it's hard to put that aside when someone is telling you that the thing that you are trying to express is not fun for them. Like that's just a painful conversation to have. It's like communication is very integral. You're absolutely right. But like, it is still a difficult conversation is my point. I, I guess my my question back to that then would be, is your fun more important than the rest of the group? No, it's absolutely not. But and, it's and, just and, and so, so yeah. And and I think if, just to use this hypothetical conversation you and I would have, Joey, I would I don't think it should be approached as Joey, your decks aren't fun. You need to change them. It's hey, so you have so many of these effects. Uh, you have so many graveyard decks. You have so many. <laughs> um, how how can we keep the essence of those decks, but maybe take the power level down a point or two? Um, or can we limit to we only play one of those decks every session and then sure. we play decks that maybe are a little less powerful because that's that's what the five of us are looking for and, and you're looking for the high-end decks. Um, finding just some sort of compromise that that works for everyone involved. I think it's it's not, hey, Joey, I don't like those decks. Don't play them or, hey, take them apart whatever. I, I don't think that's the right way. I, I agree with that. But it's finding out what, what is going to work for everyone involved without sacrificing too much on, on any specific individual's part. Yeah, I, I just wish that it wasn't the player's responsibility to... like. Okay, it's always going to be your responsibility to make sure that the group of you finds fun in a similar way and that everyone is working together to have a resonant, resonant experience. But I... I do wish that the vehicle that we were all traveling in wasn't producing so many slam hits <laughs> every set uh, to to make that conversation um, even more difficult to have and more consistent to be had um, as well. It's like I, I the the trend is scaring me, and so I'm I'm just acting like a big fear monger on this on this rec room, guys. Yeah, well, I, I kind of thought the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I I completely agree and hear what you're saying. But when I tried to, I, I wanted to, a little while ago, I wanted to end and just like, all right, here's my ray of hope about the Vanifar example. And Dana's just like, no. And then Matt's like, well, okay, here's the solution. Then I'm crapping on that. And it's just like, so even though we're, we're trying to like put forward, these are all good ideas, but like there are just still checks against each one of them. And it's, well, it's thorny. My, my final thought I would say on this is it, 
change isn't necessarily bad. Um, just right. because the power level has gone up doesn't mean that's a bad thing. Um, but I do think it's important to be aware that it does change things. I, I think it does narrow the game and it has eliminated some things. And that's just an important thing to keep your eye on. Um, even if you are happy with the fact that commanders have gotten stronger, um, just be aware that it is causing some shifts in the game. Yeah. I, I think that's yeah. absolutely fair. Like, regardless of how we feel about it, things are absolutely different. And it behooves us as players to learn, to adjust, to adapt, to mind our surroundings, and to, you know, go forward in that new... Like, we, if, if, if the game can't be played the way that we were used to playing it, then we have to learn a new way to play it. And, like, that is a m way that we can grow in addition to the ways that, like, we, we can grow simultaneously as power is growing. Yeah, I 100% I, I agree with that point. We We can all... We can all, you know, change with the times without getting rid of identity. Uh, Dana can keep up with all these new cards while still playing his recce hipster, you know, <laughs> you probably haven't heard of this, whatever types of decks. Um, I, I, I agree that we all can maintain along with what's going on with the game at large. Yeah, you know what? That's actually, that's the biggest point of hope. If Dana can continue to build the jankiest hipster stuff and still have it put up a really darn good fight in the games that we play with each other, then that is is absolutely... That, a, that's a, the important part. Me. I mean... Me. I almost <laughs> might just end it on yeah, that. I was going to say that's probably not a bad place just to wrap it right there. That's the important part. Me.